All right, welcome back into There Will Be Bourbon. I, as always, have a delicious offering from Buffalo Trace. It's actually Colonel Taylor in honor of the guest I have this evening, retired Army Colonel Theo Sellers. And uh, before I bring him in, I just wanted to, to say that this is a man that has been always there for me throughout my career. He's offered some, some wisdom and he's, he, he's definitely allowed me to be more successful than I would have been had I not sought his counsel on a, a previous deployment to Afghanistan once upon a time. So uh, again, thank you very much, sir, for coming in, sharing kind of your experience, but also your take on a lot of the things that I feel are going on in this country. I think we would all benefit from hearing your words and also your experiences. So Theo Sellers, welcome, sir. How are you? Good, Eric. Good, Eric. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm not surprised that someone with strong opinions as yourself would have a uh, podcast. Uh, I think you've been a little too kind in terms of my impact on your career, but, <laughs> but I really do appreciate the kind words. Um, just a little background for your listeners uh, on me. Um, Again, I'm a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Theo Sellers. I spent 27 years on active duty uh, in primarily the field artillery branch. Um, I spent five years uh, in my secondary, as we used to call it, which was psychological operations. Uh -huh. uh, then went back to went back to field artillery. Um, I have four combat deployments. Uh, three to Iraq, one to Afghanistan. I've done several other uh, postings overseas in Korea, Germany, uh, Turkey. Um, I spent a lot of time in Central America uh, during my time in PSYOPs, primarily in Honduras and Nicaragua and Costa Rica. So, yes, I do. Uh, I've lived a long, good life. I've had a lot of uh, a lot of great adventures, so I'm willing to share. I'm willing to share those with uh, with your listeners, Eric. So that's interesting. I did not. I knew you were artillery. I did not know you were in psyops at one point. Yep. Yep. Spent five years, ninety-five to uh, two thousand. Okay. So what was so that was pre nine eleven which is, a, I think, a big thing that people need to realize. So what was kind yes. of, what was the PSYOPs mission or what was your primary focus back then, in the, during that back time? Then, yeah, during that time, um, well, PSYOPs, as you, as you probably know, uh, the PSYOPs branch falls under uh, the Special Operations Command. Right. So particularly back then, um, the, uh, the brigade was broken down into into uh, each area of the world, similar to the way uh, special forces branches are. Um, my area was uh, Central America, South America, Central America. And uh, my primary focus during that time was actually, uh, when I was deploying was I was working on what was called the demining mission in, uh, in Honduras, Nicaragua and Costa Rica, because during the war, Basically, what they did was they mined the borders of Honduras and Nicaragua and Costa Rica. They were mined with landmines, but of course, they did not um, 
uh, map them or record the locations of the landmines. So what ended up happening was children and farmers uh, essentially were, were being killed by landmines. So part of our mission was we worked with the, uh, with the militaries and worked to educate the, uh, it was actually a big deal. We worked to educate um, the civilians, the, the civilian populace, and in particular the school children on the dangers of the mines, what they should do uh, when they spot a mine, obviously, you know, what the mines look like, what they could do to you. We had different hotlines, numbers they were supposed to call to report them. And uh, so, uh, so we could go in and, and deactivate the mines. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Actually, it was, it was kind of a big deal. Uh, in fact, in Nicaragua, what we did was we, um, we came up, actually, we came up with this idea. Uh, it was basically a Superman. We used the Superman character. We got permission from DC Comics uh, to do it. So, and it was all in Spanish. So we had the Superman comic books that focused on just what I talked about. Oh, okay. You know, why the mines are dangerous, what you should do to report the mines, so on and so forth. And with Nicaragua, actually, we ended up, and I ended up working with a lot of NGOs on this as well, is we actually got the secretary, well, their version of the Secretary of Education to, to implement those comic books into their curriculum, uh, oh, wow. their teaching curriculum, okay. yeah, for the, for the entire country. So, so they were that widespread that, that you guys yep. felt, wow. Yep, yep. Yeah, because with you know when you started having the with the heavy rains, with the um, you know a couple of earthquakes, so on and so forth, these that natural time. events, they just they you know they the ended up. Yep, exactly, yeah. and they and they ended up. Yeah, they ended up. That's crazy. Miles and miles away from, from where, where they were from, actually. From, yeah, yeah, from they were originally laid. So that's crazy. And did uh, yep. at, I think you said this before, but not that anyone listening would know. But did did you actually learn Spanish, or do you speak? Yes. It? Okay, because yes, that's kind I of did. our connection with our with our good friend AJ. Yeah. I know like, AJ. Yes, it yeah. is. Um, what they did was is I um, it was a I think it was a three month a three month course. It was the actually it was the the special forces language school okay. that we all went to. I had some soft guys in my class. It was about a four-month class, and then after that, um, we did what we called, um, I can't remember the term now, but anyway, I ended up going to the Dominican Republic for a month. Kind of like some I immersion with, training, basically? Immersion, there yeah. you go. I got immersion. you, sir. <laughs> yeah, it was immersion, and I lived with this family oh. for 30 days, and, and during the day, I went to, I went to a school there as well to learn more about the cultural and and uh and become a better uh, spanish speaker as well so it's just you know when you're doing that type of job you've got to be able to to uh to communicate to speak the language, exactly so. that and um did you guys have interpreters with you or was it mainly just you guys were self-reliant no no yeah. no, no interpreters it wasn't like you know uh, iraq and afghanistan yeah um um, you, you, you have to buckle down and learn the language. So the, uh, the rite of passage was if you were successfully able to order a pizza over the phone, <laughs> if you could, 
if you could order pizza uh, over the phone, then uh, then you were considered a, uh, you know, they considered, okay, you can speak the language good enough to, you know, to stay here and do the job. So. And let's be honest, what more do you really need to know wherever you are than to order a pizza? I mean, that's, exactly. that's survival. That's all. It's the exactly. only thing you really, whatever country you find yourself in, if you're afraid of the local food or whatever, just order a pizza. Right. It'll be all right. It's pizza. Right. Right. You can't screw exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's legit. Okay. And then, so you did say, you said you did that from 95 to 2000. So that's why I, I'm, I'm not trying to turn it into a 9-11 discussion, but I always find yep. this stuff super compelling because A, that's why I joined. But then, you know, talking to some of the guys who came before me, like yourself. And uh, when I had Ron on, Ron Moeller, that the retired CIA paramilitary guy, uh, he talked about his shift while he was in the CIA and how the agency shifted after 9-11. So what was, since you were an active duty officer at that time, what was 9-11 like for you? Okay. Um, the year before, I was in Korea. Okay. I was actually at Osan Air Base. I was part of the 7th Air Force, um, 7th Air Force uh, staff there. So and my primary mission then was we're, back, we're basically focused on targeting, you know, uh, the North Korea, the North Korean targets. Uh, that we had. Um, so after that, I was assigned to Forcecom headquarters, and I was in the um, I was in the uh, G three ops, which was in the in the I called it the dungeon, but in the basement of Forcecom headquarters, um, and they had a big vault door, a big vault door to get in and out. So mm-hmm. on nine eleven. Um, one of my very good friends, uh, he was stationed at the Pentagon at the time. And we essentially talked on the phone every day. Every morning, uh, we would call one another just to talk about what's going on, so on and so forth. So on this particular morning, I walk into the, to the, uh, to the vault and everyone's standing around the television. And I said, hey, guys, what's going on? And they said, a plane just hit one of the twin towers. I said, seriously? They go, yeah. And uh, I was like, man, that's crazy. So as I'm standing there and we're talking, the second plane hits the second building. So I immediately go and uh, I, go to my, uh, I go to my desk and I call my buddy up at the Pentagon and we're talking on the phone. I said, man, this is crazy. What's going on? He said, we don't know yet. We're trying to figure out what's going on. And I remember saying to him, I said, do you think this is a terrorist attack? And he said, I'm not sure. And then all of a sudden, the line went dead. Mm. And when the line went dead, someone yelled out, a plane just flew into the Pentagon. (laughs) So, of course... Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Now shit just got real. Right. So of course (laughs) I'm freaking out. Yeah. And, and again, he and his wife, we were, I mean, we were, uh, we all went to college together, South Carolina state, uh, college now South Carolina state university. So we're all good friends. And I'm, I don't want to call her Mm. because I don't want her to worry. So I just, I was biting my nails until probably like 1500, 1530. And I finally called her and I asked her if she'd heard from him. And um, 
And she said yes, and he was fine. Fortunately, he was not in the part of the building that the plane struck, but um, he did end up helping uh, um, pull the people out of the damaged part. So he still, you know, he still feels a certain way about it. Yeah. Yep. And so, so again, and this is why I think this is important because Ron was the same way. You are experiencing this in another country. You know, you're experiencing this overseas doing a different mission. Like you're not stateside watching this stuff take place. So no, I was stateside. Oh, I thought you were in Korea. No, no, no. The year prior, I was in. Oh, the year prior. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I I got you. I was at Forcecom. Yeah, Forcecom headquarters. Okay. So. So then that's my next question. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get into kind of where I, I originally was going to take this, but I, this stuff's just so compelling to me because I think nine 11 is so everyone's got a story about it. Right. Right. Everyone's right. got a story think, about what, what they were, where they were that day. Is you enlisted after that. Yeah, know? exactly. So, I mean, everyone's yeah. got a story about what they were doing or where they were that day. And I think it's even more interesting yeah. for guys like yourself who were in, you guys were already in, you were serving, you were doing whatever you were doing. You were at Forcecom. So what was September 12th like for you guys? Like, Well, uh, September 12th was we were all basically trying to get our bearing, uh, trying to get things figured out. So, you know, for me, for example, being in the, uh, in the G3, we immediately set up 24, uh, 24-7 ops. Um, I mean, just full stand-up, just like during a deployment uh, in a talk. So... Of course, I drew the short straw and had to work the, um, <laughs> I ended up doing the, uh, yeah, you know, the, uh, I think it was, it was either 7, 7 p.m. To, to 7 a.m. or 8, I think it was 8 to 8. So I ended up uh, doing that and, and we, so we were basically uh, started running 24-hour ops and um, we were helping planning what, what was going to happen next in terms of we knew we were going to end up deploying troops uh, here and there. So first, obviously, it was Afghanistan uh, primarily. And, and in fact, I remember I was involved in an email with then uh, Brigadier General Petraeus. Yeah, wow, over, okay. Well, yeah, so. yeah, over <laughs> who he wanted as his aide. <laughs> uh to deploy with him uh in support of in support of operations so yeah it's and that's what's see stuff like that is where i i feel like man i would have loved to to know kind of how that planning went you know what i mean because and just to backpedal i know uh there's a few things just i i don't want to pretend everyone knows what we're talking about so when you hear you know Theo say NGOs, he's talking about non-government organizations. No, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. No, I, that's, I, I got you. So, and when he says the G3, he's talking about a three within military terms is the operation cell, right? So you do future ops, right. you do current ops, coops, ops, foo ops, you do all those things planning. So essentially you're in that cell that's planning what the hell we're going to do next. And that's why I think like, man, that would have been such very compelling, obviously, but man, that's got to be pretty damn scary because you guys were still did you guys know at that point that it was terrorism or was it kind of just everything was still well, kind of flowing? Well, there wasn't any confirmation because as you know, uh, initially 
um, you know, Bin Laden's response, he didn't accept responsibility for it. Um, his organization didn't accept responsibility for it. But, you know, again, anybody with, you know, any experience knew, okay, this is more than, it was obviously a coordinated attack. Yeah. You know, because again, the aircraft that, uh, uh, that the brave civilians took down themselves uh, in Pennsylvania, and it was obviously headed somewhere, more than likely the White House. Mm. Um, so, you know, we knew it was a coordinated attack. Uh, it was a terrorist attack, but it was just a matter of figuring out uh, who was responsible, right. you know, who was responsible for it. So we, you know, we went through uh, a series of, um, there was a lot of planning going on. Um, I know I ended up going to uh, Carlisle Barracks at the, at the War College. We went there for about two or three weeks um, uh, on this planning exercise, just, you know, just doing different courses of actions on what, what we need to do, how we're going to do it, so on and so forth. And, and actually, too, um, if you remember, um, that year the Winter Olympics was coming up in, uh, in Utah. And right, right, I went, right. yep, yeah, so I went there uh, as well, part of a group for us to do a security assessment um, on, the, on the sites there and what they needed to do to, to bolster up their security um, to, to have a, a, a successful event. So. You know, there there was a lot of that, um, a lot of that going on, but it was just a lot of essentially war gaming. And when I say war gaming, the different courses of action, trying to figure out who was responsible, where they were, and where we need to we needed to focus our our energy on uh, on striking back. Crazy man, that's a that's yep. And it, you know the the. The craziest thing is not to get into this because I was going to eventually bring in Afghanistan at the end of this, but sir, that was, that was damn near 20 years ago. Yep. <laughs> but, I know. And it's great. Cause like I can vividly remember where I was and what I was doing and it definitely wasn't yep. what you were doing, but it, you recall these things so clearly. And it's just like, we're not talking about this. Like it's five years ago, like this is 20 right. years ago almost. And that's right. That's what, you know, disheartens me the most because you know this, I joined because of nine eleven, and you know, I've been in 18 years now and we're still there. <laughs> just saying. We're so, all right, let me, let me, let me try accomplished? and, yeah, let me, let me try and steer us to where I wanted to get you on is, uh, let me, on a scale of one to 10, just how dicked up has 2020 been? Uh, <laughs> I gotta tell you, Eric, <laughs> Um, it's, it's really something else, Eric. Uh, it, it just, it just is. It, it's just. Have you seen a year? It, it, so, um, do you mind dating yourself? How old are you, sir? No, uh, I will be 56 on the 29th. Okay. So great. Okay. So 56, I'm 39. You've seen a lot, all right. So, have you? Is there a year that you can recall outside of nine eleven or two thousand one, where there was obviously a big deal going on? Can you remember anything in our time that you felt is even remotely akin to what's going on in twenty twenty? No, and and you know, my wife and I have 
these type of conversations. Uh, my two buddies and I, um, they're both, uh, one's a re retired lieutenant colonel and the other's retired full colonel who was special forces. And in fact, he and I spent time together in Central America. And we talk about it in, in you know, to a certain extent, I really didn't pay much attention to you know, to the outside world, outside of the military world I was mm -hmm. in. I didn't pay too much attention to politics and, and all these different things. So, you know, sometimes I say to myself, well, hell, maybe I was living in a bubble. Maybe a lot of this crazy stuff was going in the world and I just wasn't paying attention to it. Uh, but, you know, I just got to tell you, it's just... This whole atmosphere is just, I, I don't, I can't remember a time like this. Other than, like you said, other than, you know, ramping up to go to war, mm. um, I just can't remember a time like this. Do you think it's amplified because of social media and that oh. people are paying attention or oh. you just I, I you think, see yeah. more of the others? I think it's a combination of all that stuff, Eric. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think while social media was probably created as this, you know, Facebook and, and, and Twitter and all this stuff was created uh, for people to be able to communicate and this, that, and the other. But um, I just think now um, it's just made things worse. Um, you know, I agree you have 100%. A, yeah, you, you know, people can get on and say anything they don't have to necessarily they don't have to necessarily uh reveal who they are mm -hmm. uh and they can just say any crazy thing they want any conspiracy theory and i gotta tell you eric people believe it yep and just just <laughs> about a month ago uh, i was at my car dealership to have my car service so my service manager, uh, she was new, and she knew my background being retired military. So she asked me, and she was serious. She said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And she asked me if the, if the, the COVID-19 virus was tied to the new 5G towers. <laughs> I've seen it that were being erected. Yeah. And um, I took a deep breath and I told her, I said, ma'am, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. I said, it's not true. There's no little chip or, or many chips that's people, you know, that the government mm. is putting in your body uh, to track you and, and this, that, and the other. I said, it's all a lie. I said, don't believe it. It's not true. And, but that's not the, people have said some crazy stuff to me, Eric. They've asked me some crazy things and, and I just, even family members. Oh, it's, it's definitely family, family members. Yeah. In, and in I was South Carolina. You know, they ask me crazy things and, you know, I try to do my best to stay calm and, you know, calmly 
you know, at least try to, you know, tell them that, no, these things aren't true. But it's, I, I think social media has made society worse. Without and, I, and, and, and that's what I kind of wanted to ask you because uh, you and I, and I really want to know how either you, you heard about it or what compelled you to originally sign up because we joined around the, the same time. About the same time. And so, yes. so you joined in uh, early 2009, and that's kind of when Twitter was just coming in. So I'm, I'm just right. curious, like, what was that? What made you, what did you see in Twitter? Like, and especially this was also pre, like, Department of Defense social media policy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, this was before they got to that. We either shut everyone down or we just let everybody have it, right? So right. Right. What, what did you see in Twitter at that time, or what made you sign up? Okay, well, actually, first, um, it was during my, uh, my last deployment, which was in 2009, um, to Iraq. And my sister was begging me to join Facebook. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm deploying. I'm, I'm going to combat. She said, no, no, it's great. This is how we're going to be able to keep in touch and so on and so forth. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And I'm, you know, I'm a smart guy. I know not to give away, you know, my right. location, all this other stuff, uh, and personal information. So I did, and it was a great way for me to, uh, you know, to keep in touch with everyone. Um, you know, I, actually, I joined. I I got on Skype. My wife, my wife and I, we had just gotten married. Uh, I think maybe six months before I deployed, mm. we had just gotten married. Um, so, you know, we Skyped, I Skyped, you know, we Skyped almost every day, uh, cause my team and I, we, we, uh, we paid for our own internet service. That yeah, was the smart Greek, way to do yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so with this Greek, uh, internet company, so, you know, we Skyped, I Skyped with her every day. My mom called everybody who's calling and that I talked to. So it's a good way to keep in touch with everybody. So then when I got back. And then I saw Twitter. I actually joined Twitter because I thought it was a great way to get instant news. You know even what I mean? Back then, you thought that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Even back that initially, okay. that's what I thought. I said, "Oh, this is great. I don't have to spend my time going to uh, all these different websites. Yeah. Yep. I'll just, I'll just scroll through Twitter. I'll get the CNN, you know, the sports, the yes, everything. I'll get everything in one spot, so I don't have to go to these different." Uh, websites to do it and then after that that's when i started started seeing the crazies man you know started seeing the crazies a, a high school a high school classmate of mine who, who actually i i had known since elementary school uh hosted that obama was going to implement martial law in the, uh, there wasn't going to be an election and he was going to institute martial law. I told y'all this was going to happen. Wait, was this 2012? Yep. This was yeah, because I, 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 I remember these posts. Right. <laughs> and I said, holy bleep. You can say it, sir. I won't, I won't you may not say want to, yet. but you can say it. Okay. All right. So I said, holy shit. <laughs> I won't say his name but he is crazy. 
Mm-hmm. And and then after that, I just started I just started seeing all this crazy stuff. And I would ask my wife, I would say, honey, has it always been like this? Because I gotta tell you, I've never been exposed to people like this before. Mm-hmm. I just haven't. I, I I have not been been exposed to people that think I said, do everyone think this way? And she said, no, not the people I've been around, but apparently they've all been out there, Eric. Oh, yeah. And now they, they have a platform to, uh, you know, to spew. Well, and, and honestly, what I think, sir, is because uh, you, you said 2009, and I remember, I remember because that's kind of when I signed up. And it took, a, it took forever to get any type of traction because Twitter was still very small. Like, it, didn't, it, yeah. didn't, it definitely didn't take off instantly. Um, I honestly, I remember being in the, the UCF library when I was central Florida library, when I was studying for my undergrad, like, I don't think this site's going to make it. Cause it, I mean, we had been in like, it's, it's like, yeah. it, it had been like three years at this point, And there was still, I still remember like ESPN showcasing Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco. Right. Cause he was like the, okay, at the time. Okay. Oh, we lost the sir. We'll wait till he jumps back on. Um, and I'll, and I'll kind of tell him, or I'll tell this story while he comes back on, is that I remember Chad Ochocinco being the most popular athlete at the time on Twitter. And he was the most popular athlete because he had, I think, like 80,000 followers, which, you know, in 2009, that was a, a huge numbering, right? And for it to be only 80,000, I just thought, wow, I mean, if 80,000 people are following this pro NFL football player, how big is Twitter? And uh, Colonel, okay. Colonel Sellers is back. So what I was saying, sir, in your, in your, uh, your absence there, is I just remember Chad Ochocinco Johnson was the, he was the, he was like the most famous or he was the biggest athlete on Twitter at the time and he had like 80,000 followers. And I just remember saying like 80,000 people, you know, we're talking about the <laughs> right, NFL, right. right? Like, I mean, this is right. a, a league that gets, you know, 15 million to watch uh, uh, the, the worst teams you could think of on a Sunday, 15 right. million to watch. So I was just like, all right. And then Shaq, I think Shaq was another one they profiled and he only had like 40,000 at the time. And I'm like, Shaquille right. O'Neal, only 40,000 right. people know who this dude, right. come on. I, and I didn't think, I honestly didn't think Twitter was going to make it, but obviously it did. It took off. And I think it was in large part, and I'll say this, you may agree or disagree, but I think it was what kind of started to propel Twitter was the Tea Party movement in 2010. Cause it was cable. That's- cable was kind of like, it wasn't necessarily the cable news thing. I think Fox, CNN, MSNBC, they've all kind of been charging forward around that time. But when they were forced to kind of pay attention to the Tea Party movement, it brought them all onto that same page and it started propelling social media. Well, that's that time. right. And I was about to say, I really do think it's, um, I think politics mm-hmm. is, is what made Huge. Twitter. Yep. Right. Politics is what made it evolve or devolve. <laughs> uh, Maybe right into, on both. <laughs> right. Into, uh, into what it is, uh, what it is right now. And I really think the way it is today is it kind of goes back to what you said. It's like, it doesn't even, it's no longer the crazies 
saying things that go unchecked. Like it's like, these are official verified accounts <laughs> in all media, sports media, whatever entertainment. It doesn't matter. They're all saying this stuff. Yep. And there is no fact check. There's no, nope. there's nothing. It's just, it's all for likes and retweets and it, and it yep. happens instantly yep. and it spreads that. And it kind of goes back to, you said your wife's, and this is what I think. I, I think like your wife, your wife said, not the people I hang around with. Right. Right. And this is right. where I, this is what I think. Because if I went on Twitter right now and I just, I just put in a topic, let me just search for it. Let me see what I can find a lot of crazy shit about anything. Yep. Everything. Yep. Stuff that yep. I know is verifiably false. Cause I live it. Yes. Or, or whatever. Right. right? Right. And if I close that app and I go outside and I just start hanging out with my neighbors, or if I go to the store, if I go wherever I can still go in California, that's open. It ain't Twitter, man. It, it, like, it ain't that bad. Even these protests, like I've been in Napa when some of these protests are going on, super peaceful and chill. I've been in right. Fairfield where I live they did crash a truck through the Best Buy fucking entrance and try right. to, you know, but if I go talk to any of these people, someone at my gym, she's been to five of the Black Lives Matter protests. One of the nicest, kindest persons I've ever met. You know, I talked to her about this stuff. We have normal conversations. I don't think people realize you can still go out with your neighbors, you, anybody in your community and have a normal conversation. But if you get right. on Twitter, civility yeah. is removed and everyone just tries to go yeah. at each other. And it's all about who can, who, it's not even about reacting. It's just pretending or posturing that you're right. Posturing that you're right. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. It's, it's kind of like, you know, what do they call alcohol? The, the, the uh, false uh, courage or liquid courage. Liquid courage, but I don't know, sir. I mean, this is liquid gold. As well. well, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I had intended to have a glass of, uh, of cognac here with me. Ah. And I forgot to go get it before, uh, before we That's started. That's fine. Up, cognac so. is French. We're not worried about that, sir. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, and, and um, I, I think, I, I, like I said, I, I, I agree with your wife. And I've said this to my family. Um, fortunately, most of my family avoid social media at this point. And my immediate family. I have some that are way too far involved in it. But most of their, I think Facebook is still the rabbit hole that you don't want to go down. I, I yeah. learned my lesson the hard way. I learned after 2016, like, don't talk about anything with Facebook. Because here's what no. I think about. So, sir, here, it, it, let me know if you agree. Facebook is Twitter but with your friends and family. Yes. See, at least Twitter yes. is a bunch of people you don't know. People <laughs> I don't know, right. But I got to tell you, because I made one comment on Facebook of the political nature. It was in response to something stupid or crazy someone said. And one of my former high school classmates, and you have to understand, these are people I haven't seen since 1982. Yep, I see him. <laughs> right, I haven't seen, and he jumps in, my, and he jumps in and he responds, and then I got a little pissed and I responded back. I didn't call him stupid, but I just disagree with him. And then his response was, bye, Theo, and he unfriended me. And I said after that, <laughs> 
I made a promise to myself. I said, I'm not going to make any political comments at all over Facebook. In fact, I've come very close mm-hmm. to just deleting my account. Yeah. Um, I've many times, in fact, but the only reason that I, that I, uh, that I maintained it is because it's the best way for me to keep, I can keep track of what my nephews and nieces right. in South Carolina are doing. Uh, and I even have to talk to them about Twitter. I mean, about Facebook. You don't need to post on Facebook that you and your wife got into an argument or uh, you yeah. and your boyfriend got into yep. an argument. You probably shouldn't post on Facebook that you're going out of town. I tell my sister this all the time. From this date to this date. <laughs> basic uh, OPSEC, right? Basic. Right, basic, right, basic OPSEC stuff. Uh, but I, I think, yeah, Facebook is, it, it is way worse. and 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 i think you captured it you captured it perfectly um i think that the yeah well i mean the only reason i i never had facebook i i refused like i thought you remember myspace right yeah no i never never did myspace okay so you didn't do myspace i did myspace and then i remember getting rid of that because i i knew facebook was kind of the logical progression and i just for whatever reason i don't know why i just i wasn't into it and then I, I finally got Facebook on my last deployment because it was kind of like what you said. It's just the easiest way to keep in touch with family, et cetera. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think Instagram was coming on around at that time. And Instagram has gone – Instagram has evolved from just, hey, post a picture to now you post – I know. Video. Yeah. Like, it, it's a, it's yeah. a whole other – it's like Twitter yeah. but with videos, right? Right. Uh, and then let's uh, – you know, we did Vine for a while, which is kind of – now there's TikTok, which I refuse to partake in. I'm, I won't do it. But uh, I think the thing with Facebook is, like I said, I learned from the 2016 election because I, I, would, I would take the same things I said on Twitter and I would go even further into them on Facebook. And I was just like, I just need, I, I had this urge inside me, like I had to prove people wrong. And then mm-hmm. I finally realized like, you can't, you cannot. And, and I realized and I don't remember, it was definitely probably 2017, 2018, maybe, but I think it was 2017 where I just realized, what's the point? Right. Like, what's the point? Because no right. one, and I think you said this too, is like, we're in social media era where no one is going to give up any ground. It's just, nope. not, we're all just dug in on our side, whatever it is. And people don't have conversations like you and I are having anymore. Or right. I, I think they do. You know, we're a little bit limited because of what we can do in our respective <laughs> states right, right now with the coronavirus. Right. Um, but no one has a rational conversation or discussion on, on, on no. social media. No. no one does. No. And if you do, you're, you're you know, you, something's wrong with you. Right. <laughs> right. 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 So and it, and it just kind of, you know, it goes to this cancel culture stuff. Yep. Which I that we're in. And it's in, and it's on, you know, I hate to use the term both sides, but it is. So if you're a Republican and you don't conform exactly to these points, or if you criticize anyone, then you're a rhino. Right. Then, you know, then on the left, you know, if you don't conform exactly to this, then, well, you're a, what do you call you? A, a neoliberal or a, yeah. you know you're a sellout or you're a fake or whatever whatever so it's it's just it's ridiculous and so 
double cough there. I like that. So this, this is what I kind of wanted to, okay. So let's, I, I'm going to try and take 2020 in a, in, a, in a chronological order, right? So we've got, okay. <clears throat> what did you, when did you first think, all right, what the, what the hell is going on with the damn coronavirus? Do you remember? Like, did you take yes. it? Yes. Okay. Yes, because my wife is um, in the public health business. Uh, in fact, she works at the uh, she works at the health center on post. More useless. Okay, so you know, obviously, we all didn't have a lot of information initially on it. Yep. Uh, but when the numbers started, you know, the numbers started increasing. Uh, when I saw the numbers of deaths started doubling. And I'll say, okay, well, this appears to be a little serious. And even in February and March, I remember, in fact, it was in late February. Uh, <laughs> I went to, I work on post. So I went to the commissary and got all this disinfectant stuff <laughs> and, and, uh, and put it in my cubicle at work to make sure I was wiping everything down. And it just, even though, you know, we had, Again, certain people saying, well, you know, it's not that serious. It's going to go away. It's going to go away. And it looked like it wasn't going to go away. So, you know, uh, as you know, with the military, you know, the military always sides, you know, you know, kind of sides on caution uh, when it comes to this type of stuff. So they started talking about, they started telling us in early March, you guys need to start preparing to work from home. And that's when I knew, I said, okay, well, you know, shit is serious now. Right. And, and, uh, and just talking with my wife every day, what was going on at the health center. So when we left, I think my last day in the building, I think it was March 17th. Um, that's when I knew it was very, very serious. Have you been, uh, have you been back to work since? Nope. Wow. So March 17th, I, here I, it is. Yeah, March 17th. I had to go back one day to go into the uh, into the shipper room because some of the work I do is is on shipper. Right. Um, but other than Secure, that. Secure, folks. That's what the S yeah, means. I'm so, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but, um, but other than that, Eric, I haven't been back and they don't know when we're going back. Yeah, and I, I don't even want to get into the the stuff that uh, I'm going through with my line of work because along the lines, some of the stuff that what you're doing, but things have shifted. So, right. Um, have you known anybody to be impacted by it? Um, actually, my wife has had, I think, two family members. My wife is, she grew up in New York. Okay. And so she has family up in New York and in, in the Connecticut and she's had two family members uh die from oh, it. Oh, so the, okay. And uh my mother told me the other day when I spoke with her that one of my aunts and her son and and his wife uh tested positive. They all live in the same house. And another close family friend um, tested positive a couple months ago, but she's, she's fully recovered now. And my sister is a nurse. Uh, she works in, um, 
she's in, she works in uh, at a hospital in Charleston and, and they're, they now are going on uh, 24 hour ops and she's being moved to care for the COVID patients. So, yeah. So my mom's a nurse as well. And uh, I've, I've tried to defer to her on pretty much all of this since right on the timeline you laid out. Right. I, I'm not going to pretend to know stuff. Uh, I do know uh, without getting tested and confirmed that I definitely had it back in March. Really? Oh, oh yeah. My, my sense of smell, my, my taste. Wow. I Very, just remember I it. it, it oh yeah. It, and I don't, I don't put any of this stuff out publicly. Well, I don't tweet it, right. but I'll, I'll talk about it here and whatever. Right. Okay. Uh, so I know, wow. I know I, 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 I remember being out on my grill and I love the grill and sip my bourbon because yeah. that's, Whatever it is, it's heat, fire, something just makes it taste better, right? It, it, it amplifies or enhances the flavor. And I remember being out there and I'm just like, I'm sitting there grilling and I'm looking at this glass like I'm looking at it right now, sir. And I'm like, is this water? Because I don't taste anything. And then I think I was grilling, I was grilling steak at that time. I ate it. Didn't taste a single bit of it. Nothing. I didn't wow. taste anything. I didn't taste anything for six days. And uh, I remember after like day four, I was starting to get very frustrated for a lack of better word, because right. very, things were very fluid with the testing and, and what yeah. they were, what symptoms they said you had to display in order to get tested and sense of smell and taste loss wasn't one of the ones that they were right. authorizing at the time. So I was just like, whatever. Cause I didn't, I didn't have any of the other ones. I, I didn't have shortness of breath. I didn't cough. I didn't get right. tired. I was still working out just as intensely as I always do. I know. Do. I was about to say you posted all those damn yeah, workouts. No, nothing nothing changed. I never felt, I didn't feel worse. Nothing. Like all, the only thing that I noticed and disappeared was my sense of smell and taste. Mm -hmm. And like I said, about a week and it returned. And I can pretty much kind of, because like I said, I'm in the Bay Area. I remember I went to a San Francisco Giants season ticket event in, at the Giants Stadium in San Francisco at the end of February. And I drove mm -hmm. up to Oregon the first or first few weeks of February as well. So at some point that's kind of when I feel like it, it, I got it. Now my girl was completely different and she has a history of like asthma, uh, mm -hmm. pneumonia, all this stuff. So she was bad for like two weeks and she couldn't wow. get tested either. Cause again, aside from some of her symptoms, it wasn't what everyone was looking for to get tested, but she right. was pretty rough right. for about two, two and a half weeks and she's recovered. I've recovered my parents both recently got it confirmed, got tested, had it, wow. you know, dad's 71, mom's 65. They're fine right. now. And it, it kind of brings me back to the, you know, my original point is I don't think we know how it reacts. Now well, I'm not saying we, it, it's not real. I'm just saying that we just don't know what it's going to do to the individual. Right. I agree a hundred percent. I think, you know, obviously everybody's, everybody's body is different. Um, you know, everyone has different underlying health issues, yep. you know, that, you know, whatever, whatever that might be type two or whatever it is. So I think it's going to affect everybody a little bit differently. And, and also I, I just think it's a, um, you know, the situation's evolving, you know, the scientists take, they don't know what they don't know. 
Right. You know right. what I mean? So, yes. you know, they, they're, it's, it's, it's kind of trial and error. It's uh, trial right and now, error, so. but I also, there's a, there's a very large part of me and I don't, I'm not trying to get too far into tinfoil hat territory, but I also feel like there's a large part of me that is thinking with everything we deal with as a, as a, as just a, as just as a species for humans. I mean, let we deal with this every year with the flu virus. It's never going to go away. We're always going to have a different strain. We have a vaccine, right? Is this going to be that next thing to where it's just here and we have a virus with a vaccine that we take annually because we know it's going to move and shift or whatever. And when I say that, it's like I said, it's not to get conspiratorial. It's just like, we definitely can't shut the economy down every time something like this happens. I don't think because the well, President Obama didn't do that. Right. Well, well, you certainly can't shut it down forever. And I understand that. And I do agree with you that it's not going to go away we're just going to be able to, you know, to vaccinate people yep. and to deal with it, just like the flu never went away, um, so on and so forth. So, um, but I do think, though, you know, in the meantime, me personally, I just don't see how it's, how it's such a huge infringement on your, uh, on your freedom to put on a mask in public. No, I'm with you there. I'm fine with it. I mean, if, if we got to wear a mask, great. My only thing is, because California, where I live, just recently shut down a lot of stuff again. Uh, the gym. Right, right. They closed yep. again. And I'm like, look, if you want us to wear a mask, fine. I got it. I'll do that. I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm all about looking out for my fellow man. But at what point does that, like the economy is not your, like, you think about these things that we take advantage of or we take for granted of on our daily basis, right? Whether it's going to a restaurant, a bar, anything, a hair salon, the gym, all these things, these are not, these are not billionaires or millionaires. These are, this is our backbone of our economy, right? We use that term backbone. backbone. Right. right. That's what, that's who's being. Well, small businesses, yeah. yeah. Right. Small, small businesses. businesses. Absolutely. I, I, I know. But I would propose to you, though, Eric, that if in the beginning, in the beginning, if we if everyone had done what we were supposed to do and we had taken our medicine, then and sucked it up, maybe we wouldn't have to shut down, reshut down uh, uh, businesses and that sort of thing again in places like California and Texas again you know is it is it going to ruin your life if you can't go on if you can't go to the beach for one for one flipping mm -hmm. year that you can't that's that's just what it's hard for me I just don't understand it well so I, I just I just don't right and so to that i would say and this is a big thing in in our world at one point you know coming from your military planning side as well is we get second and third order effects right right you say the beach and i got it but what think about all those those second and third order effects all those other parts of the economy and those people in those businesses I, that, I that, that rely on people coming to the i beach. got and it. that's what i i got it because 
it's not, look, I get it. And it sucks because man, I'm in, I'm in Bay area in California. My girl's in Napa. Right. I'm moving to Napa. Right. Like I want, I get, there's so much out right. here that we can't currently do. And I got that, but those people exist because of those desires. I, I, I agree. And I agree. I understand, Eric, trust me. I understand, uh, you know, the, the people most, the businesses that's impacted the most are certainly the small businesses. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, I feel for them. I really do. Because, you know, that's their livelihood. That's, yeah. that's how they, they make honest living. But, you know, again, I don't see any way around it. And again, if I think, and again, even with even with the local business, you still have people walking around that refuse to wear a flipping mask. You have young people that's having COVID parties yeah. <laughs> to see if they're gonna if they're gonna get COVID. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, it, 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 it it's just ridiculous. And I see. And I think with people, I think what people don't understand. Well, the average person in our citizenry is is that. We, yes, we do live in a free and open society, but freedom ain't free. No, there's the there's the there's the societal contract, right? I mean, there's the social right. contract. You you give up right. certain things to live in a, a, right. an organized society. Yeah, I got that. Right. No, I mean the same thing. Like I, this was probably, man, we're almost going on two months at this point. But I remember going into a grocery store in Napa, and I was walking in. I put my mask on. The guy in front of me. Uh, <laughs> He didn't put a mask on. He walks in and, you know, the, the poor little fucking grocery store employee, she's just like, excuse me, sir, you need to put a mask on. He's like, no, I don't. And he's like, and she's like, well, in order to come in, he's like, no, I don't. And he kept walking. I'm just like, I mean, come on. Like, what, like, what, are, what are you, See, what are, you, what are right. we doing? Like that. Right. Right. And I right. got it. I get it. Um, but I just worry, sir, about, the long-term effect on the economy because we can't we can't stimulus check our way out of this we can't we can't I agree. do that stuff you know i mean no nope, i agree we're the united states of america we're the world's largest right. economy and uh in order for us to maintain that or be that we have to for the lack of a better word we have to or term we have to do our jobs right you know? but it has to be a collective effort eric Yep. I'm, and I'm very, yeah, I, I'm fortunate. I'm like, you know me, I'm still, I get paid twice a month. I'm fine. Right. But right. I'm not concerned about me. I'm concerned about everyone else. I'm with you hundred percent. My brother has a, he has a, a, a pest control business in South Carolina that he has had for what? 20 plus years no. that he's run and he's been hit hard as well. Um, he was, you know, he wasn't able to get the, uh, you know, the loan, uh, oh, PPT, the first, yeah. PPT, right, right. Okay. That thing, you know, they ended up telling him, sorry, it's all gone. But I think with the second, with the second go round, he was able to get, get some support, but you know, he's been hit hard. So, you know, I know personally what's going on and I agree with you, but it has to be a collective effort. You know, if, if our, if our healthcare professionals are telling us, well, between now and September, you know, 45,000 lives can be saved if everyone wears a, wears a mask when they're outside, then why can't you do it? No, why I'm with don't you. Look, you do it? Yeah, no, I, I, I 
like I said, uh, it, it, my, my biggest frustration with myself at this time, as my daughter will tell you, is every time we go somewhere, I, I always get out of the truck and I forget to grab my mask. She's like, dad, get your mask. I'm like, Ugh. and I'm walking back to the truck to get my mask. That's my yeah. biggest thing, but I always do it. But I always, right. it's, it's because I'm so, you know, second nature is just to get out and go do whatever the hell right. you go do. Um, right. So I, I mean, I, I, we've hit on all that. And the big thing I really wanted to get your take on is because, you know, for Memorial Day, uh, George Floyd was murdered, as we all know. Yep. And that kind of, that kind of lit, I think, the fuse of the bomb that was just already there. You talked about mines early on and what you were doing. Like the mine is there. Right. And we finally, as a nation, stepped on it. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it was just a matter of it was the perfect timing. It was the culmination of everything with the coronavirus feeding into that people's frustrations, not having anything else to do out of work, but it, it, it definitely lit the fuse in this country and we saw what took place after that. And I just honestly, because I've said this to you before in our little, before we started going on here is uh, you have lived a very different life than me. You have a very different perspective. People look at you differently than they look at me. That's just the reality of the world. So I want to know from your perspective, what your take on all of that was from if you saw the video of George Floyd and what was going on and then everything after it. Uh, yes, I did see the video. Um, I watched it several times. Uh, I thought it was horrific uh, what they did. Um, I do feel that he was murdered. Um, I can't say that that in that uh, police police officer's mind, that was his intent right. to do that, that he intended to do that, but certainly his actions, that was the end result of his actions. Yep. Um, I heard someone, I think it was today or maybe yesterday, someone on some news show I was listening to said it was, it was kind of like the Emmett Till moment. It's the, you know, the 2020 version of the Emmett Till moment. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't, I don't either. But, I feel like that's hyperbole. Right. Like, right. It is. But, but I think it's a, I think it's a combination of, you know, just the totality of, things that's been going on the last couple of years, at least things that's been captured on video. Yeah. Um, I do feel that, um, you know, I don't believe that all police or law enforcement, law enforcement officers are bad. I have family members that, that are law yeah. enforcement Same. Uh, uh, officers. In fact, you know, in my younger years, they helped me get out of the speeding ticket. <laughs> 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 so I, I don't believe that, Eric, but, but what I do believe, though, is that uh, collectively, as a community, uh, law enforcement needs to go, it, there needs to be a culture change. Oh, I agree. Okay. And, and I liken it to, uh, you know, from the time I came on active duty in November, November 18th, 1986, the Army went through a continual culture change. We went from 
the army being dominated by the Vietnam era soldiers, where you could have either one shot of what you had during lunch for two beers to I've heard about to, this and I'm a little I'm yeah, a little envious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to uh to at sixteen thirty on Friday your duty station, uh your place of duty, I should say, was at the officers club, throwing them back, and then getting in your car and driving home, which is no longer acceptable. And which is why most club systems now on military post are non-existent. Yeah, it's it's formality. Right, right. So, but my point is, the military's gone through went through a culture. We're still going through a culture change, mm-hmm. uh, and and I think that collectively, uh, law enforcement agencies, particularly at the local levels, they need to go through a culture change. I, I just I just do. And you know what? And I don't think everyone is cut out to be a law enforcement officer. Just like um, a lot of folks aren't cut out to be soldiers. I agree with that 100%. And, and I really wanted to get your take on this because I feel very strongly about this next point. And you touched on it that there needs to be a cultural change within the within law enforcement. I feel like police brutality is ignored unless it involves a black American. But before I get your take on this, police brutality is a societal issue. It is prevalent. It happens every day. It involves every American. It doesn't just involve black Americans. And if the media reported every instance of it, we wouldn't have had a George Floyd reaction, I don't think. We would have fixed it a long time ago and George Floyd to this day may still be alive because we wouldn't as a society tolerated our law enforcement officers doing the things that they do because it, it absolutely appalls me when I see these law enforcement officers driving around in fucking MRAPs, like they're going <laughs> yeah. to do a route clearance operation. Yeah. In yeah. Yeah. That is my biggest issue because like you, I have family members in law enforcement. I have really good friends in law enforcement and I know what their hearts are and I know where they are. However, we do not need to have in this society our police officers looking like they are going to war with the public. That is not their role. That is not how anybody intended them to ever be. And I feel like the media perpetuates this problem because if we would have just realized that this has been going on for far too long with every American, not just the black Americans in this country who are, you know, obviously targeted at a higher rate. And I think a lot of it has to do with just the community and the demographic and, and the social pro the economic issue more than anything, because that's where law enforcement focuses their, their time and efforts. And what do you know? More shit happens in that area when you have that much more focus taking place. But if we would just highlight the fact that it is a societal issue, I think George Floyd would be alive because we as Americans would have solved this fucking problem sooner. I think you have a very valid point. Um, you know, I, and I apologize I getting gets, a little passionate. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. Um, I agree with you that 
you know, I'm sure that there are, uh, you know, police brutality do happen to folks other than than black uh, than black people. And you're right, there should be uh, a bigger microscope put on it because, again, like you said, if it was, and then obviously the citizenry is not going to accept it, it would have been fixed a long time ago. Now, in terms of you know, the MRAPs and, and that type of stuff, I do agree with you to a certain extent, but I do believe police departments in large metropolitan areas like um, um, New York and Chicago and LA, those cities that, you know, would be uh, uh, considered targets for terrorist attack, they mm -hmm. should have some type of tactical unit to be able to deal with that type of situation but again, I don't think that every police department, I agree with you, uh, you know, the, the police department uh, in, uh, I think it was in that town in St. Louis, I don't think they need to have MRAPs in, no, in guys in, in, in Kevlar and that type of thing. Mm. Uh, I do agree 100% with you. Um, certainly, I think there's a training issue oh, yeah. um, uh, with law enforcement in terms of how to deescalate the situation. And in the uh, one of the cops that's that's being or the primary guy that's, that's being charged with second degree murder, I did read an article yesterday um, from uh, that involved three guys that encountered him when they were 18 and they were just doing some dumb teenager shit. Mm -hmm. I think they were seniors in high school, so they were 17, and so they kind of recounted how the how the guy uh, treated them, and they were all white. So which mm -hmm. is the which is to prove your point. Yep. Yeah. But so, and I, I just think that until we highlight it and, and the media highlights it, that this is not just only happening to black Americans because it's not, it's happening to everybody. It's happening to Americans. Right. But again, Eric, part of, part of the problem is, is the culture within these law enforcement uh, um, departments, you know, what do they call it? The blue, the blue shield or some shit where, the, where the cops don't line. snitch. The yeah. blue line where cops don't snitch. Now they want right. you and me to snitch, but they won't snitch. Right. Now in the military, if you see uh, a senior NCO or an officer abusing a soldier, what are you going to do? Uh, well, I, in that moment, I'm going to fix it or I'm going to get somebody who can. Thank Thank you. <laughs> right. Exactly. And generally, it's you you're going to get somebody gonna, who can fix it. Exactly. So are you going to say, well, I'm not going to snitch. I'm not going to snitch on him. Bullshit. Right. Yeah. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. And, and again, that's part of the problem where, you know, these, the police unions will go to, to no end to support an officer, whether he's right or wrong. Yeah. So, you know, I think part of it is they have to clean up, you know, they have to start cleaning up from the inside as well. It's a cultural thing. And yep. I, but my thing is, I just, I cannot stand every time I see a picture or an image or a video or something like these, these police officers dressed up like they're fucking special operators. <laughs> I know. I know. It annoys the fuck out of me. It really does because that's not the image that we need to portray to our like Our, you're right. not at war with your community. You're there to right. police and law and, keep and which leads me to my other point is 
we've gotten as a nation, as a society, collectively away from the from the community policemen, the local police, yes. where where you know the guys aren't always drive you know in their squad cars. They're out there in the community, getting to know the people, establishing personal relationships with these people. Um, you know, versus going out in full kit, just like yeah. you said, you know, like they're a soldier uh, and trying to do a police uh, police work. It's just not going to work. It's it's intimidating. First oh, of all, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, you know, it's you know, it, it really is. It's intimidating. You know, if you know, hell, if I was them, I'd be intimidated too. Yeah. And, and yeah. what I think part of the problem is 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 the pay. So let me give you three examples of this because I didn't see this until I came out to California. So if I was in Orlando where I came from, I remember seeing all the, the, the Orlando police department flyers and all their, their hiring stuff. You know, they would start out at a salary to what I know to be very, I wouldn't even say average. And then you factor in overtime, you finally get to average. Yeah. Okay, you can live in a decent area, right? I looked into New York City Police Department and their starting salary for the police department officers in New York. You can't live anywhere in New York City right. with the police department salary. Right. You just can't. Right. And I come out here to California, the first place I was stationed. I, was, I, I became a recruiter in Roseville, California. Never heard of it, right? Beautiful subdivision or uh, I don't want to say subdivision. Beautiful suburbs north of Sacramento. Mm -hmm. You know what they hire at for the starting police department in Roseville, California? About 82,000. 82, Are you serious? Rockland, the town I actually lived in for most of the time I was a recruiter in Roseville, 79. Wow. What Not I bad. noticed about those, the, no, number one, those neighborhoods and where I'm talking about, beautiful family areas, perfect. But right. you can afford to live in that community. Now, those, are, right. those communities were affluent. Don't get me wrong. These are not, I'm not talking about like cheap neighborhoods. But right. with the salary they were offering, man, we're not even talking about overtime which is always affordable or not affordable but always available right you were able to you could you could live in your community in those two examples i given you you can't do it in new york you can't really do it in orlando and so that's where i feel the issue is because a lot of these police officers you brought up the community aspect a lot of these officers can't afford to live in some of the better neighborhoods but then right. also let's be real some of the areas they're charged with policing, do they really want to live in them? No. And, and Theo doesn't want to live in them either. Exactly. Yes, you nailed it. And so what do these officers think when they go into those areas? They think the worst of the people who live there, right? Right. We're guilty right. of this in Iraq and Afghanistan, man. We go yep. into a certain yep. town, right? We yep. expect the worst and we, we think the people yep. all have our worst interest at heart. Yep, and it's that's not something true. I always battled uh, with my guys, you know, trying to, you know, it was unacceptable to refer to them as ragheads. It was unacceptable to refer to them as animals and, and you know, all these different things and, you know, some other things I won't say. 
that I've heard people say. Uh, but you're absolutely right. You know, policemen are underpaid, uh, particularly at the local level. I, I agree with you, just like teachers, oh, yeah, in my yeah, opinion, they, you know, are yeah, underpaid. Absolutely. So, you know, so, you know, anyone that wants to have a, a uh, you know, a comfortable, uh, a comfortable life, earn a good, you know, have a, earn a good living so they can take care of their family. And they're not going to want to be a law enforcement officer. Mm -hmm. They're going to want to go try to do something else, just like with the teachers. So you kind of get what you pay for, yep. uh, as it were. So you're right. That is a problem. I agree with you. And, and to be honest with you too, I think it was in, um, 19, I think it was in 19, it was when Carter was president, he initially doubled the pay of officers and, and enlisted men. Uh, because right. again, you know, you know, and they did that to attract, you know, better quality of people yeah. wanted, wanting to join the military. So you're spot on. I agree with you 100%. And it's and I hate to say it, but it's it's the reality of anything in just in our society is like you want to entice people to do a certain job, you have to compensate them accordingly. Yep. Right. Yep. No one, no one does anything for free. Right, and that's something I've learned, Eric, being here in the uh, civilian world. Um, that the better, and, and just keep this in mind, the better companies or the better firms. Um, they pay their, they pay their employees well, they pay them so they can maintain them. So they won't go mm -hmm. looking for a better gig, someone else. Right. So the quality companies, uh, that, that is what they do. I mean, and, but also to be fair, I do do this podcast for free. So there's that. If I, I can get you. a bourbon sponsorship out of this with Buffalo Trace, it'd be great because it literally well, every episode Eric, I'm drinking something that they make. But anyway, that's... well, brother, I think if you uh, you send them a little uh, you send them a little text message or send them an I'm email good. and a clip because I'm telling you, um, during my first deployment, uh, Desert Storm, Desert Shield, I I sent uh, we didn't have email back then. So I wrote a, a letter <laughs> to Anita Baker's fan mail what? <laughs> and she sent me an autographed picture. That's I'm funny. not kidding. You. That's I'm not funny. kidding. You. And so a lot of the guys that that's what we were doing. We said, hey, if we want to get this, let's send them a, send them a, yeah. you know, send them a, a letter and try to get something though send them a message i'm telling you send them a message right. well, I, I gotta i gotta I, I, we need to get the audience a little bigger at this point hopefully yeah. you'll be able to propel me to that level and i can well uh, i can use you for my benefit sir that's well I, well and and I, and I encourage you to do that but to be honest with you, eric i did not know you had a podcast until last week but well i mean it's not know, much older than a month so you're you're not okay but but i but i subscribe I appreciate so, that. I do appreciate yeah. that. And if you are out there listening, you should subscribe to There Will Be Bourbon on YouTube. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's, it's on, on Spotify. Yeah. If you're a transistor guy, there's so many places to host it. Just, you know, look it up. Yeah. You'll find it. Um, all right. Let's get, let's get a little lighthearted here. You know, we, we've dealt with the heavy stuff. Um, okay. Sports is coming back, right? Yep. Finally. 
Now, in your mind, before I get into the NBA and uh, Major League Baseball coming back within the next two weeks, you, do you think we're going to have football season? Not, not NFL. Do you think we're going to have college football? Because I think that's where the most contention is right now. I, well, um, I think maybe the, you know, the heavy hitters like the SEC and, yep. and those folks are going to play games. But I can tell you uh, the MEAC, where my college – Mm-hmm. Uh, the conference, uh, it's Division Two. They've already canceled the Did fall, really? all fall, yep, all fall sports. So I, fall I think sports. that, yep, all fall sports. Where do you come out on that? What do you, what do you, do you think that's, do you think that's realistic? Do you think it's reactionary? Like, I, I, I think it's, I think it's realistic from the standpoint that you know if. If you have a school, if you have a program that's not going to be able to financially, you know, be able to financially support or handle, you know, all the protocols you need to put in place um, uh, to have a, to host a safe event, then to me, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. Now, I, obviously I feel for, you know, I feel for seniors, just like, you know, when they canceled the, the, the NCAA tournament oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, earlier this year. But as I tell my wife, I know a lot of people <laughs> that made a lot of sacrifices, uh, that missed a lot of first time or once in a lifetime events, uh, the, the birth of their first child graduations couldn't be there at a parent's deathbed um so to me i don't think it's too much to ask that's fair that that's 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 a very fair correlation um but you did say though you do think and and i know you said the sec but i think if we're going to say the sec we're going to say division one schools are going to play well and and i think that's i think division one right now i think their plan is to only play um you know, they're just going to play the conference games. So I yeah. think they're going to be able to make it. I think they're going to be able to make it happen. That's cool because I just – I got a $100 bet with somebody that college football gets played. So I just need one game to kick off and I'm going. Yeah, so. yeah they're going to play. And then I think they're going, to, they're going to start. And then I think they'll play it by ear, you know, ear after that. So, that you know, they'll mm-hmm. have from September to de- December – how many conference games is it? Seven? At least. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. If so they more. can spread up, they can spread them out over that time period and they'll probably do stuff where, you know. I mean, you know, we'd rather travel. see that anyway, right? Do you really need to see right. Alabama play like right. Southeast well, directional state or, community or college? Citadel. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Alabama I, playing I, I a bunch of army play. guys. That's, that, that's exactly. fair. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think they're going to think it's just too much money then. Yeah, uh, no, it. I agree, and that's why, like, uh, I mean, the I think the NFL is definitely playing. Some some teams have already said that they won't have fans. I am totally banking on the Bears having fans because I already bought tickets for October eighth, right? Week five, Thursday night football. Tom Brady comes into town into Chicago. I got two tickets for me and my dad. My dad's never been to Soldier Field, so I they what? need to let us the fuck in, or else I'm gonna right. I'm right. gonna I'm gonna come up with an op. I'm gonna figure out a way into that stadium. Well, right. Okay, I won't. I'm, I don't know what. I'm and talking. I and I think out of all the leagues, the sport leagues, to be honest with you, I think the NFL is probably the most yeah. smartly run of all the other ones. And 
you got a lot of smart guys in the NFL. I agree. So I, I yeah, so I think they'll figure out they'll figure out a way to get it done. Speaking of the leagues, I, I okay, so we know the two that are coming up. You know, Major League Baseball kicks off or I don't know, pitches off on July twenty third, whatever the hell you yeah. want to call it. But then the yep. NBA is coming back at the end of the month. And then so the NBA is doing this thing with the – I don't know how far you've kept up with it, but, you know, the, the messaging on the back of the jersey. I, I knew I knew you were going to bring I, this up. I mean, but I, I feel like LeBron James is like – and I'm usually very critical of him because I just – you know, I, I just – I don't think he's as informed as he purports himself to be. But in this instance, I'm on his side. I feel like he said – there, there's no point in me putting anything on the back of my jersey. I'm going to put my name because a I wasn't consulted, and b like it doesn't speak to what I do anyway. And I think like this is my thing. So let me let me speak as a white man, right? Okay. Which is probably the majority of NBA fans because we're still the majority of people in this country, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. the majority of people that are going to tune in to watch NBA basketball pick back up are going to be people who look like my shade. And I, I got to agree with LeBron in this instance. It's that, do I really need to see something on the back of an NBA player's jersey to know what the hell is going on in this country? I don't. And, I, uh, and, and so before I bring you in, and the reason I side with LeBron James is like, none, what LeBron puts on the back of his jersey has nothing to do with what the man does off the court. That's what's important. Right. I think even Kawhi right. Leonard said that. It's like it's about the actions because he's right. doing the same thing. I don't think he's putting anything on the back. Right. But we don't need that. We, we, we just need to see sports played in this country, and it'll start, you know, the, the, the gradual bringing us back as a society when it comes back to communicating and talking about sports. We don't need to see politicization. I don't know if it's politicization, but – I think too much is placed and too much attention is placed on the back of the Jersey and not what these players do in their communities. Uh, no, what's I, important. I, right. I agree with you on 100% because I, I think I saw one of your tweets where you, um, where's where the official NBA site, you couldn't. You could. Yeah, you couldn't you could order, order a Hong Kong, free right. Hong Kong jersey. Uh, you can't read it. You can't order a free Hong Kong jersey, but you can order a fuck the police jersey. Exactly. <laughs> See, so which doesn't make any sense. And right. again, you know, I would say that to a certain extent, the NBA's heart is in the right place in this. Mm -hmm. But there's just certain things you can't do because there's always going to be somebody. There's always one, there's right? Always, there's always one person that's going to go to the extreme and that's going to fuck it up for everybody. Yep. And it's just like with this being in the, with this bubble thing with them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I told my buddy, I said, now, you know, somebody's going to fuck it up. <laughs> they already are. They're right, already doing it. And they're already doing it. <laughs> exactly. So you, you see, and that's, so that's my point. Um, I, I just think, you know, I, I, I just think at this point, they just they're just going too far. They're, they're just trying to be a little too woke. Yep. Um, I, I agree with you. They don't need to put a damn message on the back of their jersey. And just like you said, uh, you know, your actions speak a hell of a lot more 
than something on the back of your damn jersey. You know what? And, 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 and I just it, agree with you. It, it speaks to what you said. You said the NFL is ran by smarter people. And uh, I don't know this. If it's true, someone hopefully in the comments will tell me, unless you know yourself. But, you know, the NFL has the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, right, where they highlight a player on every team, not just the yep. league, but every team who yep. is like – you know, they're, they're identified for being, uh, for all their actions they do within the community. They're kind of selected right. to win that award. I don't know if the NBA right. doing that. And I think that would, that would speak more and it would say more than just, oh, let me put a fucking slogan on the back of my jersey. Right. And, right. Hope, you know, I score and that the announcers call my, you know, back of my jersey name. Right. Because there's no fans there anyway, so they're not going to see it. And, well, and I think that's what the NBA misses but- is – well, no, they, they, the games will be televised, but, yeah, you know, I just think, like, Jason Whitlock talked about this. He, he, he says uh, actions over gestures, I think, is his slogan at the moment, or jobs over gestures, something to that effect. But I think where he's coming from is right in that we're trying so hard to show – support, allegiance, whatever it is with these slogans or these, you know, social media posts or whatever. And we're ignoring what people actually do in their community. Like, why don't we highlight that? Right. Instead of worrying about what the hell LeBron James is going to wear on his jersey when the, when the NBA kicks back off, because that's not important. Right. How about the right. fact that LeBron James, you know, whether you agree with the man or not or how he did it or why he did it, the dude started a school two years school. ago. A fucking exactly. school. Like, what did exactly. you do today? Nothing, right? right? You didn't do anything except get mad right. on social media about what LeBron James is doing. Right. And right. trust me, I, I give the man a ton of heat because there's a lot of things I don't agree with. But at the same time, he is one individual, one athlete who definitely puts his money where his mouth is off well, the court. He puts, right. Right. He puts back into the community that he came from. And that was, uh, and I recall in college, that was something that they used to try to instill in us uh, as we were going through is you have to, and it, even if you can't give back to the, the actual community that you grew up in, mm-hmm. you know, part of our charge of being educated and so on and so forth is to try to give back to the community, uh, you know, to try to lift help lift other folks up, um, you know, versus them staying in the same situation that they're in. So I'm not a huge fan of Jason. I'm not a fan of Jason Whitlock as, as, at all. I used to be, but not anymore. But on this, I do agree. He's absolutely right. And, and again, as you know, Eric, uh, as being a leader of men and women, you have to give them left and right limits. Yeah. <laughs> and you just <laughs> – you just can't, you just can't, well, okay, well, you can just do whatever you want. You, you just can't do it. I, I just think it's a bad idea because, like you said, just one person. It just takes one, one person. It takes right. One. It just takes one. And then somebody else is going to say, oh, well, since he's doing it, and I'm going to mm-hmm. do it. So then you have dumbass, dumbass messages on the back of jersey. Yep. So, uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. You're right. You're spot on. Um, and, and so did you go to a, his, historical black community or yep. historical black historical college? Black. Okay. Yep. So no, that's yep. interesting. So you said that like part of the, is it the curriculum or is it just the code of? Well, I wouldn't say a curriculum of code, but you know, a lot of the, our professors, instructors, 
you know, they would always talk to us about that sort of thing. Why? And, and, and that was part of the importance too of, of belonging to um, fraternal organizations, fraternities. And that's why a lot of, at least the black fraternities, they, they have what we call graduate chapters, uh, chapters mm -hmm. of folks that, that are, you know, that have since graduated, but they, but they still get together and they do things like my fraternity, um, you know, graduate chapters, we have scholarship programs and, and these different things that we do um, uh, to give back to communities uh, because we, you know, we feel we kind of owe it, especially, you know, somebody that came up in an environment, uh, we may have not, my family maybe wasn't below the poverty line, but we were damn near, uh, damn we close. could see it. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> see it. we were damn yeah. close, you know, so we could see it, uh, that's for sure. So, um, you know, just from that aspect, so it, it, you're absolutely right. It's not about what you have on the shirt, it's about what you do. So, and then always too, just necessarily throwing money at something, uh, just because it's easy to write a check either, mm -hmm. is not always necessarily the answer as well. So, I'm, I'm just curious because you, you highlighted on that, like your family, you, you don't come from money, just like I don't. Nope. Um, <laughs> nope. Yeah. Um, you had an opportunity to go to college. What what sparked in you to go to an HBCU? What was was that got, a conscious decision or was it? No. Well, I got to tell you, Eric. Um, at ten, I started taking piano lessons. At nine or ten, and then at eleven, I started playing the trumpet. Okay. And and I actually ended up being very good. <laughs> very good trumpet player and I'm trying to be as humble as I can so it was kind of a foregone conclusion that I was going to go to college you know you know it's just something my mom just it was just a foregone conclusion yeah. smart guy yeah. I imagine. yeah right so so um I think I was in either ninth or tenth grade in South Carolina State like each year they came to Johnson Hager Stadium and they would play a, a game there. Okay. So the so the band, that's the Citadel Stadium in Charleston. Got it. So a friend of mine asked me to stay with him for the weekend. So hey, you know, they're coming here, so you want to go to the game with me? I said, Okay, cool. So I spent the night at his house, we went to the game. Well, they brought their band. It's called the Arching 101. And in high school, in high school, we were, you know, we were a core style, rigid band. Well, this was a HBCU band. And I got to tell you, it was the best thing I had ever seen in my life. And I said to myself, I'm going to that college because I'm going to be on that band. And um, a good friend of mine graduated a couple years ahead of me. Uh, he was at South Carolina State, and he was on the band. He told the band director about me. They brought me up to audition for a scholarship. Got a scholarship. The rest is history. That's legit. And, and so how did you end up choosing the Army? Our, what made you want to commission? Or did you um, enlist first and then commission? No. Here's what happened. At the time, uh, at my school, you could either, you had to do either four years of 
phys ed courses mm -hmm. or two years of ROTC. So my roommate talked me into doing ROTC. So the first day, and we at that time, got him. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, well, at that time, I think we had like 800, we had a, a cadet corps of 800 cadets, and we commissioned about 105 black officers per year. Okay. So I went out there on the first day, and they made me a squad leader, <laughs> and I got hooked. Imagine I just that. did. You were yeah, power hungry. Yeah. That's what it was. I was power, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> and I was just, I was just hooked. I just, I just loved it. I mean, I just, I really did. I loved it. So, and it, go ahead. No, I, I think that's interesting. You said that. So do, do the HBCUs, do they, do they all have ROTC programs? Do they turn out a lot of this well, or is this just your school or what? Cause I'm, well, actually, at that I didn't time, my school, yeah, my school in terms of HBCUs at that time was the largest. Again, no other HBCU had 800 uh, cadet brigade yeah. um, or anything close to that. Um, at the, at that particular time, um, you know, nowadays it's, it's much, much smaller. It's not a brigade, it's battalion. This past spring, they commissioned, I think 20, which is, that's good compared to uh, some previous years. So the programs have, have actually fallen off quite a, uh, quite a bit, mm. unfortunately, but yeah, at that time, we commissioned more black officers than, than any other school in the nation for like a four or five year, five year span. So, do, but do all the HBCUs to your knowledge have these ROTC it, programs? ROTC, or? Yeah, uh, well, most do. Um, and I think now, again, with the budget cuts and things, yeah, some schools like, for example, um, students, there's a, a school named Claflin University that's next that's literally right next door to mine so their their students participate in our rotc program gotcha like they don't satellite have, program. yeah okay right yeah satellite programs so. no i think that i honestly in, until you said that I, I had no idea or didn't even realize that that and i think that's 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 an excellent path to i, I don't want to use this word like you know, no, go ahead. only path, but yeah, I think it's an excellent path to success. Well, because, I mean, it, it is, it is, uh, Eric. I mean, it, I tell people all the time, the best thing that I ever did in my life, the smartest decision I ever made was to join the military. And no matter where you come from or, or no matter what, you know, what your circumstances are, you know, the two you know, the, there are some equalizers in life, getting an education mm -hmm. and then getting opportunities. So, you know, going to South Carolina State College helped provide me an education. And then it gave me an opportunity uh, to do several different things. One of those was to join the military. Joining the military, uh, Eric, I've been places that I only thought existed in books when I was growing up. Uh, same, uh, same, same here. Right. Uh, I've made great friends. I've met people all over the world, i.e. you, 
people that I would not have met otherwise. Uh, it's provided me a great life. Um, I love being in the military, man. I, I never used to say that I'm going to work. I used to say I'm yeah. going to the office. <laughs> I, it, it wasn't, yeah, uh, it wasn't even work to me. I loved it. Mm -hmm. I, I, every aspect of it. Getting up in the morning, PT, <clears throat> training, everything. And, and I think what people have to, what they have to realize is you have to, sometimes you have to look at what's there and what's the best way to give yourself an opportunity to be better. The military offers that, the post 9-11 GI Bill. It paid for my graduate degree. Mm -hmm. So, yes. you know. Mine too. But right, <laughs> right, exactly. So again, you know, you got to pull yourself up and, and, you know, people, you know, you don't expect the handout. You got to make it happen. Plain and simple. I think that's a great message and it's probably, uh, you know, it took us an hour and 40 some minutes to do it, but that's how I'm going to promote this. I'm going <laughs> to, okay. on, on everything you said about opportunity, et cetera. But, uh, it, I, I hope I hope people do. I mean, I feel like we're at a moment in our history, especially with our younger people, that I, I know they view my recruiters and they view us a, a little skeptically. But I have I have a great faith in this next generation coming up because I think it's going to shift a lot of things in our society because they are not bound by a lot of the things that you and I were coming up. I don't, right. I don't think they adhere to the same. Um, what's the word? They don't adhere to the same. <laughs> why can't I think of this thing? Like uh, ethos. That, not ethos. the ethos, but when you're when you're like you're committed to something. Like they don't adhere to the same commitments or or commitments. The things, right. Yeah, they don't adhere to those things that they're expected to fall into. I think they think a little bit more for themselves or a little bit more individualistic. They don't try to uh correspond to labels they, they they're very they're they're a little bit more self-determined than i think our generations were i don't think they're well i i think part of the problem is is that you know with every generation you know they want to make the kids lives better than what they had than mm -hmm. their lives were and in some aspects and i tell my mother this all the time in reference to my nephews and my nieces, I think we gave them too much. Yep. And I think we made it too easy for them. Um, you know, growing up as a kid, Eric, even on Saturdays, my dad would get my brother and I out of bed at 7 a.m. Because, <laughs> you know, because- Get up, there's lawn to be cut. Right, Let's no, go. seriously. Yeah, seriously. I mean, because he didn't believe in sleeping in. There was no such thing as sleeping in. So I, I just think, you know, we've, we've made it too easy on them. They don't understand sacrifice. They don't understand, well, you know, if I wanted those, I wanted a new pair of ProCAD sneakers. Mm. I had to go mow like three or four lawns, to, you know, to get the money to go get those ProCAD sneakers. Mm. You know, there wasn't any... You know, well, here you go. Here's a hundred bucks or 150 yeah. bucks to go buy a pair of sneakers. That's crazy to me. So I, I just think that's part of the problem. And, and I think that, that uh, we just have to instill 
in them from a young age, have to instill a work ethic, work ethic, why it's important and, and uh, you know, and, and emphasize like education, that's important and instill a work ethic in them. And I think, um, I think we're failing them if we don't do that. And I think you're going to be very surprised with this next, uh, well, at least the next five to 10 year groups of kids. I think they're very, I think we're in good hands. A lot of people worry. Uh, I don't, uh, cause I get to see them. I get to see how they think fortunately with what my line of work is. And, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a kind of excited, honestly. I think they're, they're going to do some good things. Um, I, I think we definitely could benefit from some of the, and, and it's the same in my industry without getting too far into it. I think we could definitely benefit with the, uh, those at the top and the echelon above us kind of, I don't want to say dying out, but just kind of moving on into the sunset and letting some well, new blood take place. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Glad to hear uh, it. No, seriously. <laughs> I, I say it a lot. I say and when my buddies and I, when we talk, we always say, you know, I'm not going to call the names, but mm-hmm. it's time for him to retire. He needs yep. to move on, so on and so forth. And, and I agree with you. 100%. (laughs) And that's kind of, let me lead you into this one. Can we get, can I get a prediction out of you on this uh, upcoming election or is, should we stay clear of that and move into sports? (laughs) I think that's how I feel. I think I really do think there's going to be a changing of the guard. I think, I think folks are going to come to the conclusion that the experiment wasn't successful. That's fair. <clears throat> but I was wrong four years ago. I yes, you were. That. <laughs> I was right. I was so I was wrong. Yep. But and I won a hundred bucks because I was right. But uh, <laughs> right. But I but again. I, I think yeah. I think folks are going to say enough is enough. Well, and and, and I mean, not to, uh, I mean, what are we, we're almost an, we're almost two hours into it at this point. We could talk a whole other yeah, two hours on this. Two hours. I, I don't think anybody wants to win at this point. And so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> just based, okay. on, based on who's running, I just feel like no one wants to yeah. win. But uh, all right. So we got the NBA coming back in two weeks. You already said you don't watch the, the Major League Baseball until the pennant race, which I think we're kind of in, but. I won't put you on the spot for that. But the NBA is going to pick up with eight games. They're going to go right into the playoffs from there. I don't think anything from these eight games is going to affect the seedings that much. Who do you think wins the NBA title? Initially, well, my heart says the Lakers. His heart? Oh, you're a Laker guy. Well, all right. Well, I'm a LeBron guy. Okay. That whoever, whoever LeBron's playing for, that's my, that's okay. my team. Gotcha. But now with, uh, you know, with uh, Rondo's hurt, he's yep. out. And then uh, Avery, 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 uh, Avery's not there. I, I, now I think it's going to be the Clippers. As long as everybody's healthy, I, I just think, you know, you know, when you're looking at seven game series, I think they're going to, I think they're going to win it. 
See, so there's two ways to look at it, right? And it, it's what you're saying. We're going to look at it traditionally. And we're not going to take into consideration that I mean, every one of these teams has been through the same thing we've been through the last right. few months, right? right. Uh, you know, in a vacuum, I think the Clippers win because I just think their team one through nine, you know, well, right. It's just, and that's the point. They're, yeah. they're ridiculous, right? And right. Uh, Kawhi Leonard doesn't have an option at this point of sitting out. Paul George isn't going to sit out. You know, they're all going to sit. They're, they're all going to play. And uh, I still feel, you know, the best one-two in this game defensively is Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And they're, you know, the Lakers don't have an answer for them. Well, at 100%, when they're at 100%, yeah, I, I agree. And why wouldn't – why would Kawhi Leonard not be the closest to 100% that he possibly could be well, after he, three he months? Doesn't have, right, right. He doesn't have an excuse to, you know, None. to uh, load manage. Exactly. Uh, the worst you know, thing the ever created in sports, right. load management. Sports. And that's Pop's fault. Oh, I agree. Pop, yep. Pop, Pop's the one yep. that started it. But He, he did but, it. And then AD, he's so damn brittle. Yep. Uh, he's the opposite of LeBron James. Right. He's the opposite <laughs> of LeBron James. So, so yeah. So I, I just think, yeah, I, I just think the Clippers, their depth is just going to get them there. And then they have a really good coach too. Doc's a good oh yeah. Coach. Doc, doc, doc to me is, uh, you know what? Here's a funny story about Doc Rivers. I remember being in Iraq in 2003, 2004, and he was the coach of the magic at the time. And the Magic set the record for the most consecutive losses. And Doc Rivers was the coach. And it was yeah. like 21 or 22 losses, something like that. I'm like, yeah, what yeah. the hell is going on? Like, I, I deploy and this yeah. is like my Magic have devoided into the – or devolved <laughs> into the worst team in league history and Doc Rivers the coach. Yeah. But, you know, they fired him and he went on to the Celtics. And, you know, obviously now Doc's a great coach. He always was. He just didn't have any players. He anymore. always was. He just didn't have any players. Exactly. <laughs> have players to be successful, yep. man. Yeah. Um, no, but the other thing I would say this is uh, there's, there's two teams I would like to keep an eye on because I don't feel we're not living in normal times. We're not in a vacuum, right? So we know everyone's right. been affected equally by this. You know, there's reports of – did you see this report about Chris Middleton hasn't touched a basketball in four months? Well, it, I heard that on uh, one of the sports talk shows yeah. uh, <laughs> earlier in the week that that's what he said. He said it. I don't know how true it is. All I know is this, uh, if this was, if, if the season had progressed with no interruption, I think the finals we would have seen would have been the Clippers and the Bucks. But there are two teams I want you to keep an eye on based on the physical shape that the stars are coming in on. Now, I know Zion recently left the bubble and he's going to have to come back, but I want you to keep an eye on the Hornets because they may sneak their way in. And if they do... I didn't know... I didn't know Zion left the bubble. Yeah, he left the bubble last week. He's got a family emergency he's dealing with, so most likely. Okay. Yeah, so, right. But he's going to have to come back and do the quarantine thing. But Zion is reportedly, you know, of all accounts, he's in great shape, which was his big yeah. knock, right? And then the other team I want you to keep an eye on, and I know everyone's going to laugh, but it's the Houston Rockets. Because <sighs> here's been – hold on. Hear me out, sir. Hear me out. So, number one, James Harden is already in the best shape of his life, right? All right. You know, Westbrook tested positive. He did. He's going to come back. He's going to be fine, right? So Westbrook's going to come back. Now, here's why I want you to keep an eye on them. Because here's the big issue with the Houston Rockets when the playoffs normally start. 
James Harden plays 80 to 82 games. He is exhausted. Same with Westbrook by the time the playoffs start. Okay. Now you have literally the two best scorers probably in the game right now on the same team coming in at as close to hundred percent as you possibly can. Now I get it. Neither one of them plays defense. And if Westbrook just played a modicum of defense, he'd probably be one of the top 10 players of all time in NBA <laughs> no, history, but he doesn't know, play it. He doesn't. I and I, I don't know. know why, because the man is literally the hardest playing offensive player I've ever seen in my life. Like the guy yep. makes Jordan look like Jordan slacking. Yep. That's how much I feel about Westbrook. But because they've had three months off, I really feel like the Houston Rockets are going to be a problem for anyone they play against. As long as the team outside of Westbrook and Harden is in good shape. Right. No, and, so there's a, so many valid, wild cards. That's a valid point, but I got to tell you, I think the 76ers, uh, the, the other day I saw a video of, uh, what's the point guard's name that can't shoot? Oh, you're um Oh, God, Ben, Ben. Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, yes. Ben Simmons, ben Simmons was dropping threes all She's, over the place. It's kind of like me. The, now, okay, it wasn't in the game. It wasn't yep. in the game, but it looks like he So he developed. figured out how to shoot is what you're saying. He figured out, right, he figured out how to shoot. And if it's legit, if it's legit, again, nobody was in his face, so on, so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he can shoot a little bit, I think they'll be quite dangerous, at least in the, in the East. So, you know, I, I do like to do a gang, a gambling angle on this show and the Sixers were the perfect team to bet on and to bet against. Cause I think at home prior to the shutdown, they were like 27 and two. Yep. Most of their law, they're barely a 500 team on the road. Team on the road. Yep. Yeah. So now, this is what's going to make things interesting is, A, you're going into this bubble, whatever that's going to look like. There's no fans. So that's what I don't understand in terms of how that's going to play out because there's no home court advantage for anybody. Right, for anybody. Right. And it, it, it's going to be how teams individually react to that scenario, which is why I say, yeah, look, keep an eye on, an, keep an, eye on an, uh, uh, an outlier, the Hornets, and then keep an eye on a team like the Rockets, who have your two best scorers in the league offensively. And anything can go, anything can happen. Because look, we're going to have eight games for teams to get their shit together. And then we got to play for real. And look, I right. already know a seven game series, fuck around and lose four games, it's over. And, and that's over. what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, we're not coming into this with the chemistry and all those things, the conditioning, all that stuff that had taken place prior everybody's kind of coming in this and new. And I know for the most part, analysts, prognosticators are all going to go with the standard predictions like Lakers, Clippers, Bucks. But I think there's a space for someone who people aren't expecting much like major league baseball, 60 game schedule where a team, all they got to do is get hot for two, three weeks. They find themselves in the playoffs and next thing they win. That's true. So that's true. And Embiid supposedly, even though, (laughs) Did you see that he came in with the hazmat suit on? No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he came in with the hazmat (laughs) suit on. But anyway, uh, based on what I've I've read, he's actually in shape now too. So 
I'm just saying, I, I just think, again, That's a good if, watch. If, they're tr- if they're truly in the bubble, you know, especially when they, when they go out on the road, you know, they have all the peripheral distractions with mm-hmm. the strip clubs and all that stuff. So yeah, you can't do all too. that. You know, yeah. you can't do all that. It's just all ball for two months or whatever it is. I just think it, you know, anything can happen. But if I had to bet any money, I would have to put it on the Clippers. So. Okay. Uh, and, and you know what? I'd feel better because you still, in, in this current NBA, you still need shooters. And who did the NBA or who did the Sixers let walk this offseason? J.J. Reddick. Yeah, where did he, where J.J. Did he, Reddick. Where did he walk yeah. to? New Orleans. That's yeah. right. So I'm just saying, yeah. keep an eye on the Hornets. I'm just like, That's look, true. Zion no, has proven. You want, to know, you want to know when the, one of the best bets, like, so the best bet that I discovered during the regular season was not only betting against the Sixers on the road, but Zion Williams, Williamson, every one of his games when he came back, his over-under on, like, points was always between, like, 20 and 22. And the dude was wow. going for, like, after, like, week one or week two of his, his season, guy yeah. was getting, like, 27 and up every game. Like, you were make well, we if you follow me on you know Eric yeah, yeah. At, at Eric TWBB <laughs> uh, you were making some money if you were just betting on Zion to go over twenty two points every wow. night. And so um, these are the things I think like Zion. I know he's coming back in health and in great shape. I know unfortunately he had to leave. The I saw a photo last week. He he does he he, he looks it seriously. If he gets he it, if he gets, if he gets that right, and people are hard on him, but you got to remember the kid's fucking nineteen years old. Nineteen right? years old. Come right. on, Dude, like, right, right. Greatest freakish, most explosive athlete we've seen probably since LeBron. Right. Yep. I, he yep. doesn't have LeBron's game, but he can score, and that's all that matters. Right. That's um, all that matters. Yeah. So I, I feel like if that if that kid comes in, and and you've got uh, huh? Lonzo Ball, you got Reddick out there. And they, they got, they have his, some players. Holiday. They yeah, no, they got yeah, a team. They have some players. Yeah, they, they do. Got they a have team. a squad. You're right. Just putting it out. And then let's not forget about that. Like the Western Conference is stupid right now. Like, you know, you got Luka Doncic out there in Dallas. Like, they, I don't know what's going to happen this next couple of weeks with the, the, the pickup. But next season, if we can get back to normal, we got some stars brewing. And I'm looking yep. forward to it. Yep. So am I. But I can do without all the shit on the jerseys. That's all I'm saying. I'm with you on that, bro. <laughs> all right, sir. Uh, I think oh, – give me, give me one – before we get out of here, give me your prediction on the NBA champ. Who do you like? NBA? NBA champ. Yeah, Clippers. He likes the Clippers? All right. And then when the NFL finally picks up, who do you like in the NFL? Eric, <sighs> just so hard to say. Yep. I would just say – I would just say this um, – the teams that are bringing back the same coach, the same quarterback, the same offensive system is going to have the huge advantages. And um, at this point, I think if that kid from uh, Auburn that the Chiefs drafted in the second round, the running back, if he's half of what I think he is, it's over. I think it's over, man. <laughs> Seriously. It's I hard think to it's over. It. It's hard to discount if they, it. Because... If they stay healthy, if they stay healthy, they're bringing back the defensive coordinator yep. with the same system. Eric, I think they're going to be a handful, man. 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, who was their competition last year? You right. Know, Titans, Texans, Patriots. And you can't. The Titans can't expect to the Derrick Henry, Derrick uh, Henry to run for two hundred yards every game, and Tannehill yeah. only complete eight freaking passes. Yeah, he, and he, they win. If if Tannehill can find a way to do more, that team's a problem. But I don't think he can do more. I mean, I don't there's a reason the Dolphins let him go, and I think the Titans yep. are going to regret, regret giving him 120 million or yep. whatever they gave him. But well, half of that should half of that should he should give to Derrick Henry. Yeah, and Henry only got 50, right? So I yep, mean, <laughs> he only got 50. But that Derrick Henry is by uh, that dude. He is the best fantasy running back you can have. Yeah, I yeah. love that. I love He's watching him play. He scares the like. If I was a defensive player, I'd be like, I got to make a yeah. business decision, and I'm going to not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to quit playing fantasy football because, because no, because it got to the point, Eric, where I couldn't enjoy, I couldn't enjoy the games <laughs> because all I was worried about was what my guys were doing, and I just because one one year uh, I went to my league Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when Drew Brees, Drew Brees was my quarterback. I think this was in 2008 or 2009. And I had the running back from, uh, what was his name? Westbrook from Philly. That yep, was Brian it. Westbrook. Yep, Brian Westbrook. Yep. So, all right. I'm getting low on battery power. Yeah, no here. worries. We're going to wrap it up. But uh, let me plug it in here. But uh, anyway, but that's why I quit playing fantasy football because I couldn't enjoy I couldn't enjoy <laughs> Most people would yeah, say the opposite, but I, I, it looks like you had a little uh, – took it a little personal, maybe. Yeah, I was just too – I was <laughs> – seriously, man, I was too emotional. I just said, fuck it, I can't do this anymore, uh, I'm man. I'm just going to stop. Yeah. All right, so, wait, look, we, we've, we've given the people what they wanted, right? Two hours I hope so. counting? I, I hope, hope so. so, too. I mean, I, I appreciate you, sir, coming on, spending some time with me. Might have to get you back hey, on here and talk a little pleasure. bit more. It's my pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. Trust me, and I'm really proud of you, man. Thank you, sir. I, I really am. It means a lot. Uh, so, look, uh, I hope everybody's listening. If you haven't in the future, go ahead and subscribe. There will be bourbon. You can follow me on Twitter at EricTWBB. You can follow uh, Colonel Serralos here. Sir, go ahead and plug out your Twitter if you could for me. At T-H-E-O-S-E-L-L-E-R-S. Theo Sellers. At Theo Sellers. Yep. That's Good me. man. Great man. American hero, like all of us, right? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, again, in my own mind. <laughs> exactly. Done a lot of great things, sir. I appreciate your service to the country. I thank you for coming on I with us again. It. And uh, okay, we'll brother. see you as soon as we get the next person on. There will be bourbon. All right. Roger. Airborne. Take care, man. Thank you, sir. Cool. All right. Bye bye.